Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This panel has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and presenters at Metatopia 2019. Episode 253, Holding Space for Teens. Presented by McGay Baker, Caleb Stokes, Clark Valentine, and Edward Lavalley. So this is the panel on holding space, holding for, space teens. for teens in tabletop game stuff. And um, I'm McGay Baker. I write and publish uh, independent role-playing games. And I'm a certified sex ed teacher for 7th grade through 12th grade um, in the, our whole lives curriculum. And I am the primary adult support person for uh, middle school and high school uh, LARP club that's 25 kids each year uh, meeting weekly. And that's my part of that. Do we need to, um, are we still having sound issues? Should we close more I'm doors? Sorry. I suppose I can close the back it's just us. <laughs> you can move closer. You could close the back door. Like, people know where we are. It's going to get really real in here if it's just us. Anyway, dinner time at Yeah. Um, so that's me. I've also been hosting a game night at our house, Baker House Band, teenagers, for eight years. We might actually, I think we're in our, we're in our ninth year now of basically having our house fill up with teenagers every Friday to play games, which is great because that, yeah, it also gives us a a captive audience for (laughs) playtesting. So (coughs) that's sort of my background um, in specific to this panel. Do you want to say where you're at and things? Uh, Yeah, Uh, I'm Caleb. Uh, I wrote and designed Red Markets and Party Foul, the game of Drunk Ducks. Podcast with the Role Playing Public Radio Network, and uh, with my own podcast, The Mix Six, which does board game and beer reviews. Um, I've been a high school teacher for twelve years, uh, adjuncting college um, for pretty much that entire time as well. Um, and I've done multiple game design talks in my area, and um, I teach at a seven through twelve combined high school, middle school in uh, the Ozarks and uh, run a tabletop game club there after school and uh, teach a game design elective for upperclassmen. Cool. So. Um, uh, you're on the panel now, surprise. So um, <laughs> come on, who are you and what are you here? Let's, I'm, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I, I am not kidding, come on. <laughs> yeah, who are you? And what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, come on. Oh, all right, fine. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. All right, uh, I'm Clark Valentine, and I've been tabletop game designer for 15 years now. And I have a couple of teenagers, 17 and 18 now, who play tabletop games. Sweet. And have been for many years. So. Okay. Awesome. And I just wanted to know what people had to say about this. You're so. going to be a big part of that conversation. I <laughs> And who are, come on up. Um. I'm so happy about this. <laughs> this is like the, the, like, like, let's just get all pumped get up in here. Yeah. Uh, I'm Ed, uh, Ed LaValle from 2151 Games. Um, right now I'm designing a math game. Uh, designed to be played at math competitions. I showed it to a couple math teachers and they said that they would like me to try to make a easier game so that they can use it to allow their middle school uh, students to practice prime numbers in the classroom. That's awesome. So that's why I came here to try to figure out what teens want or <laughs> how to approach teens. That's really cool. That's all really cool. Um, <coughs> all right, so, uh, oh, man, I, I think that might be worth starting with, like, what do teens want in terms of, like, support from adults or people who are, like, Maybe only just a little bit older than them, people who are significantly older than them. And for me, one of the places I sit first is 
um, they want to become peers. They want to, you know, young people growing up um, will eventually be our peers. And so if we can afford them that respect and help give them the scaffolding to become the adults that they will be, that's kind of my goal um, in the way that I operate with teenagers. Um, part of that means also respecting the spaces where their experience is not as much, right? So it's, it's a learning curve. And if I, I, I do this all the time when I talk about this. I put my hands out in front of me and we make like, so your fingers make a ladder. And if you're at the top in age, um, the difference between someone who's 20 and someone who's 10 or someone who's 20 and someone who's, or 10 and someone who's zero is really big. But as you get older and older, it levels out and levels out and levels out. And so to the point where the difference between someone who's 40 and someone who's 50 is really negligible. And so that's the part that I find so amazing about working with teenagers is you can watch that leveling out begin to happen as you're, the people you're working with go from 12 to 14 to 16 to 18 to 20. And that, that's a quick time, but the leveling process in the ways that it, it's uneven, and sometimes they'll like astound you. I mean, eight-year-olds will astound mm -hmm. you with your wisdom as well, but people in that space of really stepping into a peership uh, is pretty impressive. And I think specifically in terms of supporting young people playing role-playing games, um, like recognizing their agency and ability to do this um, is huge. Uh, teens can handle tough subjects. They can handle nuance. They can handle understanding um, safety tools. They can handle understanding how we negotiate consent or agree to uh, the like uh, social con uh, contract table. They're fully able to do all these things. And just like older adults, they will mess up sometimes and it'll go catastrophically wrong, but they'll figure out how to get that back on track. <coughs> so that's kind of my base sense of like, what do teens want? Is they, they want the keys. They want us to hand down the keys to how they can fully be part of um, adult culture and what that is. And I feel like right now, some of the, what, the things that are happening is that there are ways in which adults are failing to hand down the keys. Um, and uh, so we wind up with young people who feel disconnected from adult culture that they've been told that they have to step into and take part in uh, without having been handed the keys of how do you negotiate a relationship with another person? You know, how do you apply for a job lose a crappy job, get, get fired from a crappy job, uh, stay in a crappy job because you just love it so much even though you can't really afford it. Like, how do you do all those things? Um, and there's a ton more. Like now we're seeing things and there's classes of like basic adulting because the grown older people are failing to hand down the keys. Um, and I have a whole other piece about this in specific group around sex education, um, but it all goes together. So role-playing games come into a place there that role-playing is a, a, a thing that is like absolutely integral to human experience. We start role-playing when we're little tiny children. They're like, hey, you be the daddy gorilla and I'll be the baby gorilla or, you know, whatever, <laughs> dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. um, and that never stops. <coughs> we just want more constraints and more clarity and more like, well, what would it be like if as our brains develop and we have more ability to project into other people's realities. And we try them on. I'm like, how are we gonna be? How are we gonna navigate this, these complicated spaces? So <clears throat> that is, that's the, uh, that's the whole space for me. Uh, what do you think? Other, like, what do teens want in terms of, what do you want, what do teens want? No way to yeah, go. Well, uh, they want to be taken seriously. Yes. That's the thing I thought <laughs> when, you, when you said that. And, and yes, they want to be seen as peers. Mm -hmm. That's, my daughter has said that explicitly um, in, in those works. Mm -hmm. uh, and my son probably would too, except he doesn't say words very often. So, this 17 year old boy, that seems to be fairly typical for his friends. Uh, but yes, uh, uh, she, my daughter, 18 now, and 
uh, I'm still shocked when I realize I've been having a, an adult conversation with her for the last 15 minutes. Like a completely peer-to-peer -peer conversation. Yeah. And it felt totally natural. And, and this is not a parenting panel, I suppose. But, it, but it comes in part of it because as people who are involved in the lives of teenagers, parenting in a much broader way of like helping to bring up the next generation. Yeah, go for it. Sorry. No, 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 that's... Well, and, and she has now gone out and involved in three game groups of her own with, with her peers and got part of her theater department at college playing role-playing games. So, um, yeah, she's, she's now a fully-fledged gamer who is taking away and is doing her own thing completely independent of anything that her family uh, uh, has to do with her now, so yay. Yeah, good. Probably going to win. <laughs> uh, Definitely win. What do you think? What did teens want? Um, I, I don't think I have a very different population. Mm -hmm. um, they're my uh, my students. They either um, are missing a form of face-to-face -face interaction that um, they've had before, but never with such an extended time or in an informal setting. So you know, their parents work two or three jobs, or they're on their phones, and the kids are on their phones, and they're. Um, very mediated, um, and so tabletop games for me, um, and I typically start with board games and work up to RPGs, but that sort of structured interaction gives them a sort of face-to-face -face social interaction time that they need on a biological evolutionary level, um, but they have been denied for the majority of their life. Um, but I have a number in my area where I teach a number of uh, cultural obstacles I have to sort of work around to get to that far. Um, and then the second uh, population that I serve, um, they need a safe space to have social interactions due to their orientation mm -hmm. or uh, gender or something of that regard. Um, and the sort of structure of a board game in a safe space um, that is entirely reserved for that sort of makes them um, come out in ways they can't in the regular school day. Uh, because even when they are among their peer groups, they are surrounded at all times by um, people they should obviously regard as dangerous to them, uh, from especially where I teach. So uh, that those are those are primarily my demographics. Um, so our, my my game club is combined with our Gay Straight Alliance, yeah. uh, and we do both meetings at the same time um, because then their parents can't tell why they're there because a lot of them would be. Outed oh or hurt. Um, so we have God, the Game Science crazy. Association and we have the Gay Straight Alliance. And when they ask where their kids are at, I say they're at the GSA. Uh, and that's all they can get out of me legally. That's all I have to say since they don't have to have permission to join clubs. So I like my mouth is open in like respect and admiration and gratitude for you. Oh well. I mean, that is that is major, and I yeah. know that you're like, oh, it's just, it's what you do, and I, I I resonate with that. But also, that's what we're doing. That's what this mm -hmm. is. That yeah. is why we're here talking about. Yeah. That's why we're like, this is so important. We're going to show mm -hmm. up during dinner on yeah. Saturday night to talk to anybody who wants to be here. Yeah, but I don't know how <coughs> applicable my experience is because I'm either at a place where uh, they're just grateful. To be there, yeah. and or I am tricking them into playing a game <laughs> by calling it something else or hooking it to a lesson, uh, because you know it can get hooked up to like weird toxic masculinity. Uh, they don't want to do something seen as frivolous, or, right. like um, so. Um, I, I kind of have to do a lot of psychology to work around that, or it's super easy, and so I don't really quite. <laughs> How do you keep the kids from thinking about it as frivolous? Because like I'm designing a math game, and the kids don't want to play the math game. Yeah, because it's, it's still math. No matter how you package it up, it's still math. So, uh, how do you so it depends on the demographics. Um, so in my class, like I start off my honors courses with a basic survivor project, which is like ten people outside the bunker, you left five in, argue about it. Um, but then I structure it so they can learn ethos, logos, pathos, and we can discuss different forms of rhetorical fields. Um, but I never say the word RPG, I mm -hmm. never say the word LARP, I never say the word game, um, because uh, especially in a mixed general education classroom, like 
I call it an RPG. Well, I just lost every boy in the room, whether they were interested in it or not, because the bullies are going to twig on that. Yeah. Like, they, I, I LARP, they're just, they're not even know what it means, and it's going to be even worse. I lost a majority of the girls by, by calling it that, whereas if I just, like, do it, they can end up getting enjoying it. Um, hmm. I have a tech writing class, and so um, I just got it to be tabletop designed to be an elective during the year. I normally teach it during summer school, but I, I just um, did a GoFundMe to get the board games that we need. Um, but I started my tech writing class with a board game unit, and the first unit was I just brought games to the table. I'm like, you have to learn the game. Uh, and they're like, well, how do I do this? I'm like, well, I don't know. It's in the directions. Like, you have to read it and learn the game. Uh, and then they and then they would just really struggle with it, and they wouldn't get. And I, I was making them take notes on why they struggled with it. Um, but I have I live in the Ozarks. We're a text poor environment. Yeah. Um, the majority of the kids will have. Uh, either a Bible or a car manual in their house and they will have never had a book in the home otherwise. Um, and so once we did that, it very much, we did their own game design, but I structured it as in, this is a tech writing course. Here are the fundamentals of technical writing, yeah. you know, conciseness, clarity, construction, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then uh, I said, you yeah, know, you don't have to be a board game nerd like I am. Um, also, I'm never going to grade you on your game design because this isn't what that class is about. Mm -hmm. But your first project is to design a board game, and I have to be able to play it. Mm -hmm. Like you have to show me, and using nothing but the rules. Mm -hmm. So, um, which they, is beautiful. So yeah. they ended up doing playtesting. They ended up playing other games for inspiration and reading other stuff. But I never said I'm teaching on a board game. It was very much like it's your senior level technical writing course that you need to graduate. This is how I'm choosing to do it. And then it became, oh, old funny daddy Mr. Stokes is making me do this for a grade. And by the time they were done with it, they were asking like check out games and take them home. But I was That's never amazing. like, let's just play a game and have fun. Cause yeah. they're, they're Zoomers, they're a hustle generation. Like they don't have time for fun. Just like millennials don't like, you know. Well, it also can I commodify all my hobbies. <laughs> it, it, it can feel pandering. Yeah. Like, oh, let's play a game. Like, mm -hmm. no, this is there's a purpose and a reason for this. Yeah. And so, like the math, the math game. I went to Ethiopia and, and uh, years ago. Um, I know people have probably heard this before. Anyway, and the, the thing was to design games to restructure uh, friendships. And one of them was a math game, but we had to like frame it in a way of like puzzle solving, which is more interesting. Of like, all right, if we have these things, but we have to match up to like add up to a certain level. So it was a, a group puzzle solving game. It was really straight up, just, it's just math. <coughs> so part of it is that same thing of like figuring out how you're going to package it to work with whoever else is in the, the support structure, um, whether it's the school or like no resources. That you have to do technical work. And I think, you know, the impact of bullying and support structures that exist are huge because in the school that I work in, um, we have astonishing support for our bar club um, that meets during school hours every week for an hour and a half. And then twice a year, there's intensives where. It's the week before Thanksgiving break and the week before Easter break. Everybody, they just do a, a, a week of intensive elective. Yeah, cool. Which is unbelievable. <coughs> and the big thing there is that it's, I am an adult support, and it is student-led. Um, so uh, it's a lot of help with like figuring out how you teach. You know, how do you, how are you going to teach? Okay, you want to do your world building. Awesome, great. But how are you, what are you going to think about? How are you going to consider the amount of time you have? How are you going to deal with power dynamics in the group? How are you going to teach people how to do buffer LARP safely? How are you, like all sorts of things um, that I'm doing to try to present everything as an opportunity, not a barrier. You know, and so the same with this, your technical writing. Yeah. You know, it could be you have to learn these rules, and it, it, you know the, the way you're framing it, where 
this is this has applications for technical writing. Mm. This is how a manual is written. You have a yeah. car manual at home, yeah. you've read that tells you how to rebuild the engine. This is the manual for how this works. This is teaching you technical writing. And you can frame it in a way that they can understand. And I mean it's objectively a lie. Like if I had a car and they could write a technical manual for it and we had the research to do that, I still wouldn't do it because it would bore <laughs> me to tears. Um, but well, that's like but, a, a, a. But I, I phrase it as in like this has other applications because it, does, it and, does. But we have this, and we're going to practice on this. Yeah. But game instructions are some of the most common um, and easily accessible technical writing. Yeah. That people mm-hmm. like you run into in daily life. Yeah. It's, it's objectively it's technical writing. That's yeah, yeah. It is. yeah. And it's everywhere. At least mm-hmm. in my house, it's everywhere. But yeah. Um, <laughs> mostly because I don't put my games away. Um, but. Yeah, that's. I think that's a that's a fantastic way of yeah. teaching. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, there's so much else in like. So in terms of like supporting teens, I really from I feel like there's two pieces to that puzzle for me, and one of them is in a, a school setting or or other like library group or summer reading group or club or something somewhere, where you're trying to create space, and part of that means working with the other adults to say like you're going to your school administration saying. I want to run this club, mm-hmm. and you have, you have to carve out space for that to happen, which can really mean overcoming misconceptions about like, what are you doing with these kids? Which is true anytime you're working with kids, mm-hmm. in a, uh, with teenagers in a in yeah. that sort of setting, but um, also using all of the tools that role playing games do teach in terms of empathy and uh, and like. Analyzing a situation, analyzing a text, technical writing, uh, extracting information from a technical mm-hmm. piece, turning uh, abstract concepts into a fictional piece of action, um, dealing with all the math uh, that some role-playing games have. You know, th- th- this is the arguments we make when we can go when we go into a situation where we're saying, you know, what we'd be really good at this middle school, a world-building club, where we're just going to build a fantasy world together. Um, Oh, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to talk about um, climate and food sources and distribution networks and um, every, like all yeah. these things. And suddenly they're like, oh, okay, good. We can see the educational value. Mm-hmm. And I think the other part is the personal place where you, you really want your house to fill up with teenagers every week who <laughs> want to come to your house and play games, which is what I always wanted when I was a kid. You're, you look like you're... Yeah, oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Many, yeah. Many, many Friday nights. Yeah. They, you know, late into the night. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, a gaggle of teenagers in our dining room playing whatever, whatever. games, yeah. It's, it's kind of the best. It's fantastic, yes. <laughs> I do love it. Uh, so what's your math game? Uh, my math game is about prime numbers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you're dealt out cards uh, from the digits 0 through 9, and the goal is to ditch your hand to make... Prime numbers higher than the previous location. Prime number. Mm. Okay. So, That's good. Okay. So, uh, uh, it, using math, right? Yeah. Like, so if you deal me out some cards, and then I can use a, a, a so, math. So there's no initiative. It's about speed for how fast about, you can calculate your prime number. Yes. Yeah, well, how well you can determine if the number is prime or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was designed to be played at math competitions, where these mathletes would basically already know them in their minds. Yeah. And it's, just play recon- it's just recognizing. Mm-hmm. Yes. So for scaling it down to just a smaller number, so instead of like five-digit numbers, we're targeting only three-digit numbers. So it's just a smaller playset for younger kids to, who are just starting to learn what a prime number is, how to like use that. Even though for most of them, they'll have no use for prime numbers. Except it's fun and cool. <laughs> so like, okay, do you know by heart the? Um, the video series, she's a mathematician. Oh, my friend. Find Vi Hart's um, series on um, when you're bored in math class. And it can change your world, and it may help change children's worlds too. Like, other, like I've watched, like, you know, sp- specifically in the sort of adolescent worldview when they're trying, when they're beginning to encounter more complex math. And they're like, what the heck? And these, Things like because what comes to my mind immediately, prime numbers is really cool. But I'm like, can we talk about the Fibonacci sequence and can we talk about like other pattern things? Because our brains are really good at pattern recognition, 
And if you can turn that somehow, also include the artistic piece, um, then you can get a brain crossover between the number analytical and the, the graphic artistic piece, and you may have a different interpretation with it. Possibly. That'd be cool. Uh, yeah, you could also, if it's mainly about the speed, um, the basic mechanic seems to be about numeracy, right? Mm -hmm. So you could scale that down even further and like that would sell at like IPA or something. Mm -hmm. Like if you had a two deck system where you just had even just a list of integers and then um, you're doing, um, I don't, there's a name for it in math, but I'm an English teacher. It's the equivalent of sight words. Mm -hmm. It's like being able to look at two plus two and know it equals four without having to go right. you know, four. Uh, it's got a name in math. I don't know what it is. Panel is about holding space for kids. This is my wife, man. Oh, yeah. uh, she actually like, ran the D&D &D club at the Oh, yeah. cool, yeah. So we have a new panelist coming in. It's Amanda Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I think, I think all of that could work. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, figuring out all the different ways that you can do that. It sounds like you have to talk after about math games. A little bit more, um, and um, especially now that Amanda's here, and it's also run clubs for teens, you know, things um, <coughs> for our vast listening audience. Um, so, it, it <coughs> so is, the, is the goal to get it to go beyond, uh, like, mathletes, um, like in a regular classroom or something people would play by choice, or um, I was just I had three conversations with uh, okay. two different math teachers. Or, and they just said it'd be interesting to use in their class. They didn't give me any direction. Mm. They just said, as it is right now, there's no way anyone can use it outside of yeah. so, so they just said, ah, try something. Yeah. So uh, I've dumbed down the simplified, simplified the, <laughs> the, 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 the sets um, and just, I don't know. Uh, just Are you fiddling with it? Yeah. I mean, Did you bring it with you? Awesome. Yeah, if it's it's if it's explicitly an instructional aid, you can do pretty much anything with yeah. it. Um, but and I don't know if this is true on the coasts. Uh, they all live. You are all living in very different educational worlds than I yes. am. Um, but for for me, if we want to talk about general teen principles, um, there's nothing you can offer them that they will value more than their peer group. Yeah. So if having numbers on cards as a chance to sacrifice their perception of how a popular kid might perceive them. Yeah. Nothing that game could offer them, no matter how enticing you may, will be enough for them to put it in their hands. So uh, you, you very much have to, you have to be in the middle of the Venn diagram. Like, no one will, no one will leave their circle to go to your game. Like, you've got to bring your game into their circle uh, where it's acceptable, or it, it won't happen, no matter how cool it is over there. They will, they will not go over there. <laughs> but that's been my experience. Um, yeah. And I mean, I have some of that experience, and I don't think you have that different experience with like making making spaces either in institutional situations like schools or um, libraries or whatever. And then I also do want to circle back to how we make your home an inviting place, because that's another topic. Yeah. But do you want to talk about your experience with inside schools or clubs or things? Uh, the most invaluable thing was a teacher who was on board. Yes. Um, the rooms actually started by kids who found an art teacher who was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but sure, you can have my room. And then we found a science teacher who was actually really into it. Mm -hmm. And so his excitement and, you know, then looking for grants that let us buy dice and all of that kind of stuff. That really helped a lot. And he was okay with the level of chaos that comes from five different groups playing D&D in your room at the same time. Oh my gosh. Which was like very high. Um, but it, I don't know that we could have kept it going around. This is middle school. Yes, yeah, middle school. Yeah, it's it's a pretty big deal. Like having having someone in the faculty or administration on your side is huge. Yes, huge. And then like keeping in mind that sort of 
continually rescoping for this is why it's valuable. Mm -hmm. Even if what you hear from the kids is, oh, I got really, I really got to whale on that. Like, this is why it's valuable. The social interaction, mm -hmm. the, the, the analytical thinking, the creative um, imagination, the exploration, the writing, mm -hmm. the reading, the figuring out, the doing the, the calculations. Like there are basic things that people, as you say, they will get over a hurdle to do if their peers are doing it and if they think it's cool. Out of curiosity, do you like use full-blown D&D for the middle schoolers? Like um, This was actually a while ago. So fourth ed or? Um, no, that was right when the fifth yeah, edition was, starter kit first yeah. was released in oh, wow. I think we so. started with fourth edition and then moved to fifth edition for okay. the starter kits. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and we got some donated, which was yeah. really nice. Most of my kids struggle with the literacy required yeah. for fifth yeah. ed. Like I, I typically do Dungeon World because yeah. uh, it's a sushi menu. Okay, yeah. that gets them doing it faster. Yeah. And from there, if they have the literacy skills, usually one of them will tackle D and D, and then they can go up from that. But I, I typically get them started on that because that's a big investment to ask for a lot of well, teens on my end. And I, I, when you said middle school, I was like, oh my god. Well, I, I mean, can't think get about like when I, I can't get seniors in high school. To do <laughs> when I started playing D and D, our GM was ten. Yeah, you know, and it was we were like ten, eight, seven, and five, and that was my D and D group. Because Jenny was like, "This game looks cool," and I saw it at Walden Books. <laughs> you know, Books, yes. right? <laughs> oh my God, that's the truth. So that's the part of what I started out with saying, like that they uh, they are able and they do want to do this, overcoming like regional literacy or regional pressures is huge and like not to be discounted because I sometimes feel like I live in a bubble of magic where I'm a school that's like will you please come and um, we'll pay you to come up and show up uh, once a week for an hour and a half in the LARP club yes <laughs> what I love it it's my it's one of my favorite hours of my week um, and I'm working with 25 kids Mm -hmm. that come in my LARP, that come to LARP club and watching the student leadership as they go through LARP club is amazing. Yeah. Amazingly cool. Mm -hmm. But the kids that are the student leaders right now, they're in 10th grade and I am, I am not even kidding, I'm going to talk to them about the curriculum that they have written for this year's LARP club and how they're teaching LARP techniques. It's not just like, here's the world, go bash on people. They have like, so much thought into this and you will see their names because I am seriously going to make this happen it's so good um, but I do want to talk about yeah, um, yeah please do and then let's talk so about spaces in your homes with D&D the starter kit really condenses it all down so mm. it's not several books that you need to read yeah. it's a couple of pamphlets that kind of do you know yeah. step by step and then for the ones who are interested then they can go and get their hands on mm -hmm. everything and yes, the choices were limited. I think there were like five classes or something. And so then the ones who want to do something more, they need to do that on their time. Mm -hmm. We only had about half an hour per session. Like it was, okay, fight some goblins, woohoo! Okay, great. Yeah, cool. um, but there are ways to find that stuff condensed. And then that often leads them to seek out the more complex stuff. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Absolutely. Um, also, if there's like other games that that you're like, I really wish we had this game, especially if it's one of my games. <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> we can. I I know a person who can help with that. Yeah. Uh, I live in their house and they're me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I will look into that. Uh, we. I got very lucky. I, I did a GoFundMe this year. Yeah. And so uh, that that, that bought our board game library. I got a partnership with our local game uh, distributor, so they gave it to me at cost. So. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's talk for a bit about how we support teenagers in our space, like in our homes, and then we make our homes welcoming. Um, do you also do you have kids gaming at your home too? Uh, or no, no. That's like no. there's like a boundary. There's some issues. Uh, that most I of my recognize. game design is uh, very adult. Yeah. Um, and mm -hmm. most of my life outside of school is intentionally very adult. Yes. Uh, well, so I have a pretty hard space, and also I'm a millennial, so I'm never going to own a home. <laughs> so <laughs> I am in a tiny apartment. Right, cool. <laughs> so I, just, I do it mainly in school. Yeah. yeah cool. <laughs> um, I am very happy that my house fills up with teenagers every week. Um, 
the big place with that initially is starting with they start coming when they're in like seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade. And so the biggest thing is to make sure the parents know it's a safe space. Mm -hmm. um, and to make sure basically the social contract that we have here in terms of like racism and sexism and homophobia and um, like other crap, that they have the same social contract at yeah. my house. Um, with some leniency. Like, yes, they can swear. I don't care. You know, there's things that are not the rules of school <coughs> at the Baker House. But it's also understood that I'm going to insist you treat each other with love and compassion. Mm -hmm. And that you care more for the person at the table than what your character does. Yeah. You know, and that's important. Um, I always feed them. I always ask them to contribute to food if they are able. And I don't demand that they do. Um, I, I always provide transportation because I have that luxury. Um, that I, if I, if I can, I will. Like I pick them up from school in the van and I bring them all home. And when some of them are like, I can drive myself there, so I'll meet you. I'm like, awesome. I'll meet you at home. Um, we run our, uh, we run ours on our um, Title One tutoring events yep. so that they have a tutoring bus. To Fabulous. God, that's great. Um, yeah, and then. I'm, because of my mindset and my commitment to this, and when I was when I was a teenager, when I was a teenager, I lived in Southern California, where driving for three hours to go to a two-hour meeting is just a thing you do sometimes, because you gotta. Mm -hmm. So driving around Western Massachusetts, we're like, I'm gonna drive half an hour to go do that, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> so these kids would be like, I'm, I, don't, I can't come to gaming tonight because I don't have a ride. I'm like, I'll come get you. What? What? You know, but it's my mindset, and not every people will have that. Um, but those are the biggest things. And then I'm around. I'm not in the room with them, although they often would love it if I was, because I cultivate that space in the sex educator hat of like being an accessible person who they can talk to. Um, but I'm not in their face about it, and so I'll wander in and out, and I'll overhear things they know I'm around in the house, because that provides a container. And this gets back to the question of what what young adults want. Um, that sense of a contained space where they can practice becoming adults, but they know that if, if it gets really awful, they have backup. So that they can experiment with these different roles that they can take on. Of like, what would be like? What would it be like if we played like a really flirty game? If we're playing the, the king is dead, right? And like suddenly like we're stealing time together and it's kind of sexy. Is that okay? And like, have I really screwed things up in our social group now? Or like, I have to go talk to Megan in the kitchen about like something else entirely because this was really uncomfortable. You know, all that sort of stuff. Um, or processing deep things or getting to the place where there's collision and they're like, we are not getting along with this game right now. How do we do that? And I'm like, you, here's how you work that out. You have to treat each other with love and compassion and you have to be and to help walk them through that. Because that's handing down the keys. And handing down the keys to communication. You can say, let me try again. The thing that I just said obviously didn't reach you the way that I intended. And I can tell by your body language or by the fact that I am utterly baffled by, I, I don't know what's going on because of uh, neurodiversity stuff. Let me try again. And giving people those those tools um, is really important, um, and it provides a safe space. Kids can show up and know that they can just be themselves, and then they can pretend to be somebody else for a while, and then they can go back to being themselves. Um, so that's that's how I do it. Um, it means a lot to me to create yeah. mini tiny conventions every Friday in my home um, where people feel safe and welcome, and you know know that the boundaries I hold. You know, is a, is a containing space. Because there's also that piece of, like, uh, our job as grown-ups, you know, we have these, when there's a new child, a little new child that comes into our world, and they're, like, held right here close in our arms, and then our job, I think, is to kind of open our arms slowly, and so they can, like, then you're, like, holding their hands, and you're, you're right there still, and they're learning to walk, and then you're just, bat, like, opening your arms 
oh, back, 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 until you're like, okay, I've got you. You're okay. Go, go ride your bike. Go to the movie with this group of friends and you're like proto-dating thing. Go off to college. Do what you're going to do. Because the container is there. And that's, you know, go to your first convention on the other side of the state. You know, you're going to be fine. Call me if there's a problem. I'm, I, I remain that container. And so it's something I value very deeply. It's something I do very intentionally. And it's something that gets me calls from kids sometimes who are like, you know, I, I, get, I, I get calls about weird things, like car-related calls all the time. The new drivers are like, I'm out of gas. Can you come help me? Yes, I can. <laughs> I, I've gotten calls of all, all kinds of stuff because I created this space. Um, and you probably get that. Do you get that as a teacher? For people who come to you for other reasons and you're like, oh, uh, Sometimes. Oh. Um, yeah. Not, not. <laughs> Not quite to that level. Um, I think my boundaries are a little. You have you have very different yeah. boundaries that you have yeah. to hold mm -hmm. in a professional capacity in the place you are. You are, and yeah. because of the delicacy that you're um, doing what you're doing, the GSA, yeah. the double thing there, and like there are things you have done on this panel that I, I, I see. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, we can't do anything remotely flirty. Um, or anything like that. Oh, I would just never, I don't I have play to, flirty games with kids at all. <laughs> no, I mean like, I mean they can't with this space right, yeah, because yeah. Uh, there will be misconceptions by yeah. parents who are looking to misconceive. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I try to stay out of it as much as I can. So in the GSA, I try and facilitate. I'm a white, uh, cis, hetero dude. I'm just the guy who's willing to do it at my school because yeah. um, the principal and I are buddies and I'm pretty sure he won't fire me and no one else is that brave because <laughs> why would they be was it worth uh for that um so uh I, I i do that and that's why i'm willing to do it but as a result of that i can't really say hey we're doing this this week yeah because that that's a bad look like listen to the boomer explain what it is to be queer kids like i don't want to be that guy <laughs> uh so i very much try and facilitate what they want to do um and then with the game thing i also try uh it's very early days, but I, I, I'm teaching, so I'm trying to get them to play faster because they can't get very frustrated with text very quickly, and um, they also quit extremely fast as a generation. So I am doing a lot of teach, but once I teach, I try and get out of there as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and while I try and monitor the conversation, I also try and have music on yeah. so that there's a screen um, and they can feel free to talk amongst themselves so that they're safe, but it's still not. Um, we need to be managed by the teacher, and it can be something that they uh, do themselves. So uh, speed of teach is really important. Audio cover, I think, is important, whether it's other people or just some white noise music. Um, and then regarding you know, the specific groups I'm doing, you know, it would be wrong of me and a bad look to try and dictate their sort of agenda yeah. Uh, in, in doing those things, so I'm, I'm just kind of trying there to help them execute. Uh, yes. So, yeah. So really, like, like you're creating a container, you know, really, really mm -hmm. well. Of like, yeah. this is how we can do this. This is how I can hold this space for you yeah. to discover who you are mm -hmm. and try to keep you safe for yeah. a little while. Yeah. yeah. So, our group, we have a bunch of kids who literally grow up on babes in arms at some point yeah. mm -hmm. and then you know all along the way yeah. we've been seeing the grown-ups do this because we're playing with the same couples 20 years yeah so yeah i can't imagine how different it would be if you know if parents were gamers so, yeah yeah right. and so these kids have become somewhat evangelical <laughs> because they yeah, want their own game groups they don't really want to game with us that much uh -huh, yeah and so one thing that really interesting was um can you remember how old it was when he did his LARP for his birthday he wanted to have a LARP he was like, like 10 yeah. 11 and so he had it like all planned out and put so much effort into this and then um our 18 year old daughter well it's touching the younger uh 16 year old daughter was sort of their referee so mm -hmm. she was there as the not quite adult Mm -hmm. who just sort of managed all of that. And then the grown-ups were in the house in case that was ever needed. But for the most part, it was like these 
different tiers of containers, I guess. Yeah, it's <laughs> a real thing. Yeah, and um, it was just, it's fascinating to watch kids from other families come in and out of our groups, and then they take what they learn and it spreads out. Mm -hmm. Masks has become a really big thing because I brought some kids to Dexcom and um, Brendan said he would run masks for them. We had more kids than we could handle, and so Mendez came in and took half the group. And like, it was just they were still playing stuff from those groups years later. Yeah, yeah. and it's just they're all running the now. Characters have their own Instagram pages. Yes, and like. <laughs> And watching the media, which is stuff that like I don't really do, you know, they'll, they'll Skype, not Skype, they'll Skype. Um, <laughs> Discord? Yeah, I think it, Yeah, I think it was Discord. And so, you know, it's just, it's interesting watching them do it on their own terms, but taking stuff they've learned from us over the years. Yeah. Watching etiquette and watching how you interact with each Can other. Just say that word again. <laughs> etiquette. etiquette. Such an important word, like how we, yeah, how we negotiate space mm -hmm. in a social and civil society by the rules of our own particular microcosm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was fascinating watching all of them. One of the best things about this was how to learn, watching them learn how to negotiate disagreement. Yes. In productive ways. It's, Say it's more. great. Yeah. 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 Say more. How did, how did they oh, do that? Etiquette. How did you help them? Uh, well, I mean, etiquette. we passed on the culture of play that our groups had. Yeah. Because they saw us, like, we don't agree about something in the game, and that? we figure it out because we're adults, we're friends, and it's a game. Mm -hmm. And, okay, this is what we, we talk about, we give and take. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's not that important to me, really, so eh, we'll do what we want to. Okay, that's great. And they just kind of, like... There's, there's also, a, a discreet example of that, which I love, which is literally the thing that I don't see it, we're not seeing it the same way, which is language we use for so many things throughout the rest of communication, but it's specific to role-playing games where like we're describing a room, and unless we're using a hex map or a grid and like minis and things and things are laid out, we're trying to imagine a shared imagined space. But then if I'm like, okay, cool, so I do that, and then I do this, and I go down here, and you're like, but I'm over there. Just because we haven't, we haven't imagined the same space. Um, and the levels of disagreement that can cause, like, you couldn't possibly have reached, it's almost the, the like, you got me, no you didn't, you yeah. know? Because, yeah. because we haven't imagined the same mm -hmm. space, which can get you into all kinds of like architecture, engineering, mm -hmm. <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Um, it's just that piece of like, oh, we're not, I don't see it that way. That doesn't mean why it's wrong, but it means that we're not seeing each other clearly. And how do we get to a place where we can, we can clearly communicate with that? It's huge, like amazing communication skill right there. Yeah. I also think that when you game around kids, they feel like they're more yeah. And so like they'll come and talk to us about all kinds of stuff. I doubt they talk to other adults. Heck about. yes. And it, I think in a lot of ways it's because they feel like we were vulnerable to them by sharing our gaming experiences with them. Mm -hmm. And it just it creates a different relationship than you have when you're just the parent friends. Definitely. Definitely. And like boundaries are also a thing. Like I need to rep like I, I hold those really carefully yeah. of like watching as that peership happens of like I really like tracking that and like when the kids who were twelve when they started playing my house and now they're twenty-two and watching when they shift like I think I could like going through like I think I can use their first name instead of calling them Mr. Mrs. Baker, and when they could be like, I think I could talk to them about maybe more serious things, and then event eventually gets to like late high school or after high school, like, I just swore in front of the Bakers, and I think that's okay. Yeah. So watching that peership emerge is interesting. <laughs> it's interesting, too, for our house, anyway, um, seeing a similar dynamic to yours in the sense that there's a lot of overlap between gaming and 
your kids yeah. at our house. And yeah. I don't know if that's just because of that's our daughter's circle of friends, or if there's something like there's our, something our the house water. got the reputation to be as a as a queer friendly place. Yeah, ours too. And yeah. um, I, I mean, I think it's partly if you're willing to allow people to take on roles that are completely outside normal human existence, you're willing to have a, like a different mindset. Like, what if? You know, mm -hmm. and I, I, it just, I think it just creates a different attitude. Uh, I, I sort of approached it from a, a different perspective. Um, I, I'm kind of uh, trying to find the straights in gay-straight alliance through the games, because if they want to play them, they have to be there. I have to be uh, there. I have the games library, and they're my toys, and if they don't play nice, I they don't get to play with my toys. Um, so I'm finding that we're so actually doing a lot more tolerance work um, interacting like while we're having the meeting and they're coming asking where the meeple goes and then we go back to talking about like Stonewall or something I'm, I'm, I'm getting a lot of traction out of so you're creating uh, you're using the games to bridge between yeah queer identified kids yes. and straight kids who might become yeah. allies because of seeing them in this framework mm -hmm. where suddenly they become it be, everything becomes normalized because yeah. we're all that's and my uh, my queer identified kids don't really have problems with play etiquette most of the time yeah. they're they're uh, sensitive enough that they sort right. of take to that quite easily it's uh, I'm just really trying to uh, bridge the groups together We've been given our little five-minute time wrap-up. Um, is there anything else? Like any other particular thing? I wrote a whole thing on the Baker House band and kids that do stuff at my house and you know stuff. Is there anything? Any questions? Makes the house more friendly. Uh, no children. <laughs> so I have no opinion. Okay. Uh, a couple of my friends have like two-year-olds, so that, that's yeah. the extent uh -huh. of the. Child. Uh, you yeah. should take your math games to IPA. It's its own publishing world. IPA um, is. Uh, it's uh, basically a countrywide teacher supply store. Mm -hmm. and, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They are also stocking a ton of games, but none of which are from the tabletop space. It's kind of its own publishing world. And their markup is stupidly <laughs> high. Uh, so, like, there's actually like a publishing niche there that yeah. you could make quite a bit of money in <laughs> if you, yeah. Uh, especially math games. games for a variety of levels, like, okay. so, like K I'll through 12. Like, I would the, look into that. The two of you should make sure to exchange contact info and yeah. stuff. Uh, um, yeah. So, uh, anything else in particular about how, like, how? Support teams or how people support teams. Any other burning questions? Are we good? I think we're good. Yeah, we're good. Awesome. <laughs> and we have a couple minutes to spare. <laughs> Three whole minutes. Uh, so, line for questions can form the gap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're all around on the